0: And welcome to episode number 116 of the DBSA podcast. I'm Sarah Wendell from Smart Bitches Trashy Books, and with me today is Elise, who reviews for Smart Bitches, and Sarah McLean, who writes historical romance novels. We talk extensively about billionaire dinosaurs, because that is a very important topic, but we spend more time talking about Sarah's upcoming book, Never Judge a Lady by Her Cover. We talk about the need for Regency pool boys and the very strange way her book has been showing up on NPR's website. A couple of things you need to know. First, I'm not sure what happened but we do not have the world's greatest audio for Elise. I think it's because it's extremely cold where she is in Wisconsin and the cold was just interfering with everything. That's my theory. It's a completely crappy theory but that's a theory either way. I tried to clean it up and I apologize that I couldn't scrub all of the background noise out. Second, about 19 minutes in, we get very spoilery about the book. If you haven't read it yet, which is likely because it comes out on Tuesday and today's Friday, you might want to skip this one or skip that part or just skip ahead, starting at about 19 minutes until about 27 minutes, roughly. I apologize for the spoilers. The timing didn't work out perfectly because the book comes out in five days, but we wanted to talk to Sarah about all of the things that are going on in this book because there's a lot of buzz about it already. This podcast is brought to you by Intermix, publisher of Cowboys for Christmas, a holiday anthology featuring three all-new steamy cowboy romances from Kim Law, Terry Osborne, and Liz Talley. You can download that on November 18th. I also have an offer from Audible that I found when I was searching through some of my affiliate stats. If you go to audibletrial.com slash DBSA, You can sign up if you're not already an Audible member and get a free ebook. I am not sure if that is better or worse than any other offer that's out there right now, but if you were thinking, I like audiobooks, I should listen to more of them, audibletrial.com slash DBSA might be a good option. The music that you're listening to was provided by Sassy Outwater. I will have information at the end of the podcast as to who this is. And now, on with the interview. Hello. Thank you for taking the time to talk with us. I'm thrilled to talk to you and I do
1: nothing with my evenings. So, this is great. You are my <laughs> excitement for like the next
0: year. <laughs> well, remember you have a book launch coming, so a little there... bit of a little bit of evening work will be involved. Book launches aren't exciting. They're
1: more like just they make you want to pee on things. <laughs> They just make you tired. (laughs) My friend Kat finished her first book like two years ago. She finished her first manuscript and she emailed me and she was like, so it's done, and now all I really want to do is print it out and pee on it. And I was like, that is a really remarkable way of expressing how it feels to finish a book. But yet, I know He's the feeling. you kind of hated enough to want to urinate on it.
0: Like, I'm so glad to get you out of my life, but yet you are mine. And yes, I mark you. <laughs> <laughs> well, Elise has several questions for you. Elise, fire when ready. So first of all, I love...
2: Never judge a lady. Oh, I feel so happy. There was, there was a lot of squeeing when we got the ARC for that book, and it was squeeing well earned because it was awesome.
0: Oh, I'm so glad to hear that. Thank you. Thank there you. was a lot of all cat emailing going on. Oh, yay. I love that. <laughs> well, I
1: love that most. Actually, you know what? I kind of love that all the time, even when I read like. Like, my very, very favorite review ever is a one-star review on Goodreads that goes on for, like, pages and pages, in all caps, about how much she hates the book. And I'm like, you are so passionate about this. I've obviously done my job. Like, (laughs) obviously. I'm glad to have been part of your life for
0: this. (laughs) I mean, that's what you want, really. Any review with strong emotions, positive or negative, is going to make another reader go, oh, really? yeah
1: my fear is like ten thousand three star reviews,
0: oh yeah, just ask Elise and me the hardest thing to write is a review that's sort of like meh, Yeah, yes, it was a fine book yeah, that, that was those <laughs> were some words.
2: I just wrote a review for the billionaire Dinosaur Forced me Gay, and that was the most fun review I've written in ages
1: and I read that review and adored it <laughs> adored it um I think. Yeah, there was, like, so much about it that I loved, but I actually tweeted my favorite line from it, um, which now, of course, I'm drawing a blank on, but I'm going to look it up. Um, but, yeah, that book sounds, first of all, like, that book arrives
0: on your desk, and, of course, you're going to read it.
2: it's oh, yeah. all 15 pages?
0: Oh, is it short? <laughs> all the dino porn is very, very short. And it's all like two ninety nine for, you know, 16 pages. And do you think that it sells like crazy? It does now. Yes. But one of I the things that the that. review does is that it makes it clear that if ever there was a moment where you were looking at the title of that book and you thought, it can't be that bad, at least <laughs> answered affirmatively, yes, yes, it can be that bad. Of course it's that bad, but it's gloriously bad. Yeah, I mean, if you're going to go bad go big. Mm-hmm. The line was, I don't know
1: if salmonella was a concern, <laughs> but I'd be worried. <laughs> well, you'd
0: think that that would be a concern. Of course. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't want to hang around with lizards because of that. I mean, I had a reptile birthday party for my older son when he was three or four and like the kids had to wash their hands 16 times. Oh, so, yeah, so did bring
2: the reptiles into your home.
0: Oh, yeah, it was great. We had a, a boa constrictor and a tortoise and a lizard and a um, big ass albino uh, giant snake. I forget which kind it was, but I have pictures of the kids and they're all like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. This is amazing and scary, but very cool and very scary. Let's all stay at the wall. Like they were oh, all lined up on the wall like it, horrible. Was a, it, was, it was a really good birthday party. But, yeah, um, they had to wash their hands a lot because they were touching reptiles.
2: Yes. Well, my question is Was it like a legitimate enterprise that brought the reptiles in, or was this some guy with like a big camel van that this is what he found? <laughs> oh, That's no, amazing.
0: First no. of all,
1: now I'm envisioning Sarah like the local strip mall, like waving down a guy <laughs> and, with a lizard on his shoulder. Dude,
0: you got a snake? I need a snake. Come here, sir. There is a guy <laughs> who walks around New York with a cat on his head. It's not so far to believe that there would be like a guy wandering around Jersey with a lizard not sure. in his pants like on his shoulders. Sure. So, Elise has done her job. Maybe well. <laughs> she saved people from, from spending their money on something truly egregiously bad. Well, because
1: really like that book seems like it would be terrific. And so, you know, Elise has really saved people.
0: Yes, definitely. Or at least saved them from forced gay by a dinosaur. Yeah. Right. I'm
2: still not sure what forced gay Means like yeah, I don't. Well, know, that's kind of grammatically incorrect, but also ambiguous, right? As
1: you pointed out, not really gay. Like this is a totally different thing if you're with a dinosaur,
2: right? I think if you're having sex with a giant lizard, like the gay thing is the last last thing you really need to be concerned about, right? I, I think you've got probably bigger issues at hand, right? Me- like salmonella, <laughs> right? <laughs> Spilling our
1: dinosaur gave me salmonella was the alternate title <laughs>
0: that yeah, that'll be the sequel salmonella and other <laughs> problems with the economy i like that the design i like that the dinosaurs made good stock investments like oh yeah that was the root of their economic uh their economic achievement that they had made good stock investments that that's really all you need to control the world economy
2: I had not tell you how proud I was to have worked the repeal of (laughs) Glass-Steagall into the
0: pretty, It was pretty
1: amazing. Had you been waiting for that your whole reviewing life?
0: (laughs) (laughs) All right, so Elise, what is your first question for Sarah, who is not me, other Sarah? You can ask me other things, but I know nothing about this book in terms of what went into writing it, because I didn't write it.
2: So when I finished Temple's book and I found out the big reveal about Chase, I was pretty shocked. Um... Because you did a phenomenal job, I think, of keeping. I, I So my question is, how did you not write, like, with gender pronouns? Did it involve a lot of drinking? Did you pull out your paper? <laughs> I mean, how how did this happen? And were people guessing? Did you have readers who were totally Because um, I didn't.
1: So that's a two-part question, so I will take the first part first. Um, the writing part of it is... Um, was it slowed It slowed me down. I mean, frankly, that these books have been slower to write, as all of my readers will attest. And um, the truth is that any time I had chased in a scene, I had to really slow down and think carefully about a couple of things. Both, yes, there's the basic, like how to write a scene without using gender pronouns is like a fun little task that I recommend anybody try. <laughs> because it does sort of it takes time and energy and those scenes read really differently than all the other scenes in the book. Um, I think, but also, you know, I wanted it to be my goal with this was really, um, twofold. Like one, yes, I wanted you to get to the end and go, Oh my God, I can't believe she's a woman. But also I wanted you to get to the end, say that, and then say, what, I'm going to go back to the beginning and reread everything. Cause that can't possibly be the case. And I wanted, when you did the reread, for it to be totally obvious that Chase is a woman.
0: Oh, no big deal. Um, That's yeah, not like so a that... really big thing to try to set up across several books. Damn, girl.
1: <laughs> so, but now I think it, what's interesting is like, I, look, I, it's always been obvious to me. Um, so <laughs> So, you know, there were definitely moments where I worried that I pushed it too far. Like, maybe it was too obvious. Like, there's a scene in Temple's book where Temple gets really angry with Chase and says, um, you've been playing fucking mother to us um, <laughs> for, you know, ten, five years. And um, and I was like, it's going to be so obvious. Everyone's going to know that this is what this is. Um, but luckily, a lot of people just took it as the insult, which is what I had hoped for it to be. You know, so... Um, So that's really that, that's the writing piece of it. And, you know, thank God for, you know, I have amazing critique partners who, whose job it was to catch any moment where I, where I revealed Chase. Um, And then we slowly brought, there were, you know, four or five people at HarperCollins who knew that Chase was a woman. Um, My editor, obviously, all these books were copy edited by the same person um, to keep it you know, a tight, a tight reign on who knew. Um So actually, interestingly enough, the whole like circle of trust of who Chase really was, there were about, there are now, there are uh, 13 people in the fictional world who know who Chase really is. <laughs> and there were probably about 13 people in the real world who knew it too. But to the rest of your question, I was uh, accosted in a bathroom in Texas in the fall of 2012, right after... Rogue came out by a woman who like literally backed me into a corner in the bathroom and said, I think Chase is a woman. And I was so shocked by it that I said, well, Chase, would be really horrified to know that you think that. (laughs) (laughs) And then I ran out of the bathroom and I grabbed Sophie Jordan and I was like, oh my God, somebody knows I blew it. It's obvious. And luckily she was just a really close reader. Um, but I, if you've read the acknowledgments of this book, that woman is mentioned, because I feel bad for lying to her.
2: <laughs> I think one of the things you have working in your favor, at least I think part of the reason that, I mean, I, you have a, an inherent bias, right? And so I always assumed that Chase was a man, and I never really looked any further um, to suggest otherwise. And in fact, when the big reveal happened and I realized that Chase was a woman, I was kind of conflicted because on the one hand I thought that's gonna be a really, really amazing book. And on the other hand I thought, but I've built up this dude in my head who's really fascinating and I wanna read his book too. Right. <laughs> I wanted I wanted it to be a choose your own adventure where we got both options at the end. Yeah. Um, clearly, like out of selfishness.
1: Yeah. But it would have been hard to write. <laughs> yeah. Um well, I think you're not alone. Um, and I think that, and we, certainly, yes, it's a trope, right? Like, I I knew going in as a lifelong romance reader that everybody would just assume Chase was male because he was, at the time, he was the most powerful. He was the one who'd brought them all together. Um, he had, he was, you know, arguably the one with the most destroyed past and the most destroyed reputation. Um and so I knew that if I lay all that, all that brickwork, you know, readers, lo- longtime romance readers wouldn't have any, there would be no question that like, he was male. Um, so yes, I definitely played with that trope. You know, I was aware of it. And then, um, you know, the truth is that we talked a lot about when to reveal it. Um, you know, there was some discussion about... You know figuring out a way not to reveal it until literally you opened the first page of this book because all every scoundrel's book um, the prologue is the moment of the hero's fall um, so we talked about well, what if we release the whole release the book and we wrote the cover copy in an obscure way and um, you know literally readers open the book and on chapter chapter one or prologue page one you realize chase is a woman and that, I, we, both my editor and I were worried that if we had done that, we would lose readers because of exactly that. Like, I, I have many, many, many emails from people desperate for Chase's story because he's so
2: hot. Well, he is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think one of the other things that worked in your favor is more with old school romance than, um, more recent historicals a lot of times when the heroine assumes sort of a masculine identity or persona she also compensates for it in a way and um, or, or apologizes for it and Chase is completely badass. Chase will ruin your life and buy your secrets and humiliate you and have absolutely no issue about it and so again from a gender bias way Reed initially is a very masculine character because it's completely unapologetic
1: Yeah, well, I mean, thank you. I'm glad that that's true because I think the balance and the struggle with any romance novel, right, is that as much as we want to write, and I mean, I I like to think that I start every book wanting to write a really powerful heroine first and then everything else kind of fills in. But as much as we want to write a really powerful heroine, the reality is that in romance, like, readers, myself included, like to see the heroine kind of set back a bit, set back on her heels, Um, and we like to see her kind of need the hero um, for something, Um, but the truth is that I had spent three books setting up, like, the most powerful dude in London, (laughs) and so I didn't have a choice, I mean, I had the the character I had, Um, and that part was hard, but the truth is that, like, you just, I mean, she had to, I knew on, Chapter one, page one, she had to be set back, right? She had to need something. And that had to be the hardest thing for her to, the bitterest pill for her to swallow. Like the idea that there was something she couldn't give herself or I she couldn't get for herself.
2: That was probably my favorite scene in the book is right in the beginning when um, Chase Georgiana is at the ball. And there are these group of women who, I can't remember the one woman's name, But they're they're talking about her behind her back in a way that she can hear them and they're being really mean. And she's letting it slide until they bring her daughter into the mix. And then she just lays into this woman and kind of like flays her open verbally in front of all of her friends. And I was like I love this because you get to see who Georgiana is and the fact that she really she appears to be a passive character and she accepts the censure of society. And underneath that um, is this very, very strong woman. And she's willing to sort of suffer these indignities on her own behalf. But when some, they bring in someone she loves, like her daughter, she becomes very, very tough.
0: It's really hard to endure that much censure when you are excluded or in, in other ways excluded from society it takes an enormous amount of strength to put up with that that's not something you endure if you're if if, if you don't have some sort of strength already Mm -hmm. and that scene's been written right
1: a million times that sort of you know heroin receiving like in the moment of receiving censure from society but again and, and i have to say i'm actually really glad that that worked for you because i mean i knew chase had to vow to destroy her and then she had to make good on it right and so and that's not something a heroine in a romance novel usually does um and so you know mary who's the character you're talking about like systematically over the course of the book like she loses everything she loses her suitors she becomes a pariah in society all done through through chase um And so there were definitely moments where I was like, how unlikable is she going to be? Like, how do I offset this behavior, the behavior of Chase with, like, the honesty and nobility of Georgina? And that's, um, I'm glad that it it worked for you.
2: Yeah, I remember reading that and thinking that I should feel bad, but then not feeling bad.
1: (laughs) I'm glad. (laughs) (laughs) Because Mary, ultimately, she gets let off the hook. So that was me. I'm not entirely certain that Chase would have let her off the hook, honestly. But I just couldn't. I couldn't let her sort of be so
2: destroyed. <laughs> so that kind of leads into my next question. Was again one of the things that impressed me is you would have a heroine who has three distinct personas, right? So she's Georgiana, and who's the sister of a duke, and she's Anna, who's a prostitute, allegedly. And then she's Chase. It was interesting to me that you managed to keep all three of those separate, yet they were part of the same character. And I don't think there was any point in the book, I think this is what impressed me the most, because there's no point in the book where I got confused as to who she was supposed to be at that moment. I cannot imagine as a writer pulling that off. So did you ever, I mean, was it kind of like this crazy multiple personality who is Chase supposed to be at this moment? Did you have a lot of notes? The
1: hardest part of this book to write for me was the first 75 pages. Um, And when I say hardest part, I mean, I probably rewrote the first 75 pages 18 to 20 times for lots of reasons. I also, I had a baby in the middle of all of this. um, Oh, like that's an excuse. (laughs) (laughs) And what's interesting about that is I was writing, you know, I wrote 200 pages of the book before I had the baby and now I'm sort of going off on a tangent, but I'll come back around. And, uh, and I was writing, you know, 200, I wrote 200 pages about a heroine who had a baby, right? And, or who had a child and like was doing, uh, her whole motivation was to protect her child. And then I had a child and I was like, oh, wait a second. What I wrote before and what she really would be thinking in this moment are not the same thing, right? So there were, there were things that just suddenly didn't ring true to me now that I had my own sort of squalling goblins. Um, but the, the truth is that, um, you know, the beginning was really hard because there, you know, at one point there was a scene where, a scene with Duncan and Anna where uh, before he knew who she was in there and it got confusing. And so for me it was really important, again, I'm really thrilled that it worked for you, um, because it was really important that whoever she was in the moment, the reader knew. And I think that most, you know, the benefit of writing romance and writing really deep POV, which is how I write, is unless you were in Duncan's POV, and Duncan knew pretty quickly that she was Anna um, also, um, and that was a choice that I made because I had to get, when you're writing a triple identity, you have to get one of them out of the way pretty quickly um, in order to make it a little bit easier to read. But you, as the reader, almost always heard about her as Georgina. So you were in on the joke, I guess, in every scene, no matter who she was playing.
0: How many post-it notes were involved in the construction (laughs) of this story? (laughs) Was it like two tablets? Like, do you have a wall art of post-it
1: notes? Uh, I do have a wall art of post-it no- I mean, now I'm working on a new book, but yes, that is how I work. And there were a lot of them. I can say many, many, many. I mean, I was stupid, right? Like most people write a double identity and I wrote a triple identity and it was really ridiculous and took a lot of energy and was hard to do. And
2: now I regret it. <laughs> So, which identity do you think best represents who Chase is as a character? Is it Chase, the, the club owner, or is it really a combination of the three of them?
1: I mean, I think it's, I think it's probably Chase, the club owner, and with like a, a pretty decent mix of Georgina, the sister of the Duke, and Chase, the club owner. Um, Anna is the mask, and that's why I felt really comfortably comfortable, kind of like revealing her to duncan early in the book because she's she's fully a mask right she's not really a prostitute she's not really she's there are a lot of things about her that aren't true um but chase is very real like i mean when she she lived that life she knew she wanted to live that life i mean in my head she conceived of chase back during 11 scandals to start to win a Duke's heart, there's a line where she says to her brother, like, she refers to herself as a fallen angel and then says she's gonna ask him for a favor. Um, so I sort of envisioned that, like, at 17, she had she was playing the long con and she knew she needed the mask of Anna in order to get there.
2: So speaking of Chase being a real person, one of the things that Sarah and uh, Carrie talked about in a previous podcast This this disservice, I think, that is done to women in history through formal education because you're taught what women were supposed to be like and what they were supposed to do, and you completely miss out on all these amazing stories about what women were actually doing through history. Uh Gary
0: and I did a nearly 45 minute podcast. About all of the amazing Victorian women that Carrie has researched who were yeah. adventurers and scientists and spies and travelers and they all came up with socially acceptable reasons like I have an illness and I need to take the air but I would <laughs> like to take it in as many locations around the world as possible Bye. and 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 Elise is totally right I mean only a few of them I knew of and only because they were part of my local curriculum because they were from Pittsburgh and Madam CJ Walker is a badass otherwise we know very little about these. Women.
2: That's true. So, was Chase based or inspired on any actual historical character? I mean, did one of the things that's interesting about the Fallen Angels, there's a a woman's side to the the casino where women can come and gamble and they have their own thing going on. I mean, how much research did you do into that, or was this completely fictitious?
1: There is no evidence that there was an established female casino in London at the time, um, but there is a lot of evidence that women would go to like tea parties and sewing circles and like basically they would go to book club and then gamble. They would wager and gamble and drink and sort of do all the things that men were doing. Um, and that's the really the thing that, I mean, of course they did all the things that men were doing. Imagine, you know, if your husband was out every night at his men's club and you were expected to sit at home and needlepoint, right? Like it's hard to imagine Sarah Wendell doing that,
0: right? Wait, am I am I am I like just by myself in a quiet room? Because yeah, needle, I'm totally down with that. Just for the record, <laughs> that sounds great. But yes, I know exactly what you're saying. <laughs> so, but yes, the husband is not allowed to go out and have all the fun without me. Exactly.
1: That's you would be pissed if every night he was like, Oh, I'm going to my club again. You'd yeah. be like, Well, where's my club? Um so in part, it's, it's not based on anything specific. It is like the fallen angel is my Hogwarts, right? Like the idea is that whatever the book is that needs to get written, there's something and the, the angel sort of twists and turns and becomes the club that it needs to be in order to serve the, the book. Um, and, you know, there are things that I knew. Like, there's a map. There is an actual map of the angel, um, in my office. And like, I knew there were certain things, like I knew the boxing room existed. I knew Cross's office was reached by, you know, I knew there was a whole web of, of private passageways that cross designed, Um, and I knew there was a lady side, right? Cause it seems like they deserve it. Totally. Why the hell not? And there probably was something like this. They're just, you know, women are lost to history. And so probably our place, their spaces are as well. Imagine how horrified a group of like crusty men would be to discover that there was a women's casino. They would destroy all the evidence of it.
2: Yeah, I think that's one of the things that when people make comments to me about romance novels being um, unfeminist, it's like we're literally rewriting history from a female perspective. How, how is that not a feminist endeavor? Speaking of research, there were Regency swimming pools, for real?
1: (laughs) There were Regency swimming pools. Thank God. (laughs) I mean, I assure you, there was going to be a swimming pool in this book, and so I would have figured out a way to do it. But luckily, um, there were like five swimming pools. There are documented five swimming pools in London in the early 1800s. They must have smelled so funny. I know. Let's not talk about it. (laughs) Especially because I think it was my husband. Somebody said to me when I wrote, because there is a very, there is, what is, I'm coming to realize as I read, like, early comments about the book, a rather, like, serious sex scene in a a swimming pool here. And I think it was Eric who was like, well, how does the pool get cleaned after they have sex in it? (laughs) And I was like, let's not discuss it.
0: Let's we don't just need pretend. to worry about those things of things like, in romance land. Exactly. We don't worry about cleaning the pool. We don't worry about morning breath. Exactly. We don't worry about many, many disgusting things. So okay, let's just put it aside and say <laughs> Duncan is very smart
1: and like early chlorination.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: And where do they get the water from the pool?
1: I know.
0: Let's yeah. you know. <laughs> um, where did they get the water from the pool? I don't know the answer to that question. Well, I do know that in, in Judaism, we have, a, we have the mikveh, which is oh, yeah. collected rainwater. And that's been around for, you know, zillions of years. And I know that hammams have been part of Arabic culture for just as long. And they're both equally warm and awesome bodies of water that I highly recommend everyone visit. It, it doesn't seem impossible that they could have collected rainwater or at least brought it to a low-level point in An area where it could then become a pool, exactly. the, 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 cleaning, the cleaning part though. I'm not, uh, I'm not sure. And there were the Roman baths, right? Well, like, of course, that's thing. Yep. so and then there was bath, and there was baths where they had baths. They did, they conveniently took baths. named that place. <laughs> <laughs> you
2: guys are missing the larger question though, which is, were there Regency Pool Boys?
1: I, that's a good question. There was, I, not in my book, but sh- there should have been. That's a, See, that's a whole nother scene I could have written. We should have talked before.
0: Well, there's your next series, Regency Pool Boys. Yeah, you think that'll sell? <laughs> uh, yes, actually. The, the Regency Pool Boy turned my dinosaur boss gay. That's exactly what needs to happen to that dinosaur, actually. <laughs> so what be- are you working on right now?
1: Um, I am working on the new series, which is called Scandal and Scoundrel. And it is basically, it's
0: like TMZ
1: in the Regency. So I'm taking modern celebrity scandals and I'm giving them a Regency twist. Oh,
2: my God. In this case, a
1: pre-Victorian twist. So my first book, I guess I can share this. My first book is loosely based on Beyonce, jay zs Solange. At the Met Gala.
0: Wait, where the where 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 she? Where smacked Solange, the Crap out of him yeah, in the elevator. I'm
1: Stacy in the elevator. My heroine is Solange, and it is not in an elevator. But I'm not going to say very much more about it. But that is the beginning. That is the inciting incident of my next book, which is called "The Rogue Not Taken."
2: You can't see me, but I'm bouncing up and down because I'm
1: moving be <laughs> right now. <laughs> and you know and you actually know the heroine it's Sophie from uh oh yes lady never judge a lady all
0: right I, I need to send both of you a link I just received an email from Mary and Mary wanted me to know about something that I can't believe she actually sent this during the podcast so I'm sending you both a link okay all right it is an NPR link I don't know if you've seen this Sarah oh I've seen this but which one you, is it? There are two of them. If you scroll down through a bunch of guys eating Papa John's Frito Chili Pizza, <laughs> check out the third picture down. As I think it's Peter who hosts. That. Wait, I wait, don't. don't tell me. But check out the yes. background at least. It is. Wait, wait. So don't tell me. And last week's post, I will send you a link. This is amazing. So in the middle of a, a whole discussion of Papa John's Frito Pizza, which no um it's just 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 no and they they caption a picture of the pizza with fritos all over the top of it as blurring the line between recipe and spilling your fritos in exactly the right place (laughs) in the third picture down in the background there is straight up a dude reading your book yes last week they put a cronut on my book What are they doing with your book and all this food? I have no idea. I have no idea. Like, is your book running around NPR headquarters?
1: I can only assume that HarperCollins sent the book to wherever, to to the book person at NPR. It was on top of a pile of stuff. And then last week they put a cronut on it. Well, like you do take to take like they were like we need to take a picture of this cronut and like they literally reached and like this was the first book that they pulled off the shelf but then i think they were just amused and so now it's a thing and i never want it to end i want them to eat that like kentucky fried chicken thing with the two fried chicken breasts as buns i want that next with my book in the
0: shop. god poor chase she's gonna get greasy she is she's a dirty girl <laughs> So they're just using your book as a food prop. And I'm fine with it. <laughs> Dude, I should say so. <laughs> the real failure here is that Dunkin' Donuts didn't call it the Crunkin' Cronut. Oh, God. Oh, God. Right? How
1: weird is that? That's very strange. And I strange. swear to God, this today when the blog post went up, a, a reader sent it to me and was like, do you know someone at NPR?" And I was like, I really honestly don't. And then all afternoon, my friends have been texting me, like, who do you know at NPR? And I'm like, this is not good marketing. I mean, it's awesome, but I do not know anybody. Wait, wait, don't tell me, but I would like
0: to. (laughs) What is up? Okay. I must know what is up with the multiple shots of this book. Right? Because,
1: oh my goodness. It's amazing. It's amazing. But we lo- I love it,
0: and I never want it to end. <laughs> I mean, it's just so subtle and absurd. it's, it's perfect. You couldn't plan it better. You yeah. know what I mean? Now it's amazing.: Do you really want
2: Carl Castle to read an excerpt from Sarah McLean's book? Oh, right: sweet like, Moses. I to fly- I, would, I would happily
1: fly myself to Chicago. For that moment. Like I would do any.
0: I would fly up, both of you to Chicago with me. I'm 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 game. Yeah. Let's do this. <laughs> so I'm Carl Castle. <laughs> <laughs> right. Mm. <laughs> Amazing. So is are there audiobooks of these uh, of, of the series? There are audiobooks. Do obviously. you like the narration? I
1: have to be honest, I have never listened to one of my audiobooks all the way through because it really weirds me out. So, I can totally understand that. I don't know that I don't think that doesn't mean I don't like the narration. It just means that it really weirds me out to hear it because it it never sounds like what it sounds like in my head. Right. Like I, I lived with these people and I lived with Chase for a long time. But I will say I haven't heard the audio of Never Judge a Lady, but I do worry that she will be like breathless audio romance heroine. No. And that is a big worry for me because like she is not breathless audio romance heroine. No, the, so. the,
0: the, the narrators that I have heard and that I have and the, of the of the women that I have interviewed and spoken with at different conferences, they are not breathless. They are throaty, deep, sexy voices that are just they just sound amazing. OK, good. They just sound incredible. Good. Many
2: years ago I listened to a Stephanie Lawrence book on audio and I had to stop when I got to the sex scene because the narrator was a dude and he sounded like he was a very distinguished older gentleman. Like you would call him Chalmers and he would be a <laughs> Yeah. to the sex scene. I was like, Nope, 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 not even. <laughs> mm-hmm. well the the narrator for this book is a woman named
1: Justine Eyre. Like Jane Eyre, and I um, she has not narrated any of my other books, but I did listen to a um, to a sample of her narrating a Lisa Kleypas book, and it was terrific. So
0: She narrated some free short stories for uh, of Nalini Singh's for Tantor Audio, and I linked to them last week. They're amazing. Oh, good. I'm glad.
1: She's terrific. She's also beautiful,
0: P.S. Like, a good voice and pot. And um, really gorgeous. Fair. I know. Yeah, when you Google
1: her, her, like, Wikipedia page comes up, and she's just stunning.
0: Of course. So
1: you can imagine that that, it, that she is Chase.
0: So say more about what you're working on now, if you can. And if you can't... <laughs> yes. I have the second scandal, which
1: I'm not going to get into, but I know what the second book is. Um, and then I'm sort of waiting for some celebrity to do something ridiculous.
0: <laughs> so, oh, that'll happen tomorrow. At any point,
1: like... TMZ is going to report something, and that's going to be my third book. Um,
0: so, is there like a TMZ gossip rag newspaper? Um, well, I've written a lot of newspapers in my in my career, so there
1: could be. Um, as of right now, it's really more like the concept is that the book itself is that like is you know the headline. So every chapter, as of right now, and this is obviously a work in progress. Every chapter has, like, a TMZ-style headline. Um, I'm toying with, you know, a couple of different stylistic ways to make it really feel, you know, celebrity gossipy. Um, (laughs)
0: You need to do, like, the Upworthy series.
1: You won't (laughs) believe what this duchess did next. (laughs) Oh, my God. I might steal that. That's hilarious. Feel free. Ten things that this marquis didn't tell his you know, marking sir.
0: He so. thought it was a standard trip through Hyde Park, but then she did this.
1: <laughs> exactly. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'm having a lot of fun with it actually, because um, it's a little, I mean, I, I said to myself, I'm going to write a lighter series. And of course it's not as light as I had sort of intended. There's, I just can't do it. Um, but it is a little more, it's really different than, you know, Four books, of, four books in the Rules of Scoundrels series. Four books in a uh, London gaming hell in the 1830s. It ended up getting pretty dark in some of those places. <laughs> some of those corners were really dark. Um, so it's nice to kind of be writing a little more, le- a little lighter.
2: So I have a special request, and you can just completely ignore me. Um, yeah. But I totally think Asriel should have a book because I'm intrigued by him. Mm-hmm. And need more Asriel.
1: I love him. I love him. And in, in my perfect world, there would be like a novella or a book that's like Asriel and Mrs. Worth, who's Bourne's, um, I don't know if you remember, but Bourne has a housekeeper who's really gorgeous, really, really beautiful. And I sort of have this like fantasy that they're, that they end up together.
0: And that is all for this week's podcast. I want to thank Sarah McLean and Elise for taking the time to talk to us. I apologize again for the very strange, fuzzy, muddy audio. I hope it wasn't too excruciating to listen to. Someday, when I locate my venture capitalist and pin him to the ground, I will build a gloriously awesome recording studio. It'll have like a hot tub, a Regency hot tub. There'll be a pool boy, possibly some cravats. It'll be awesome. But for right now, I'm doing my best. I apologize. I learn something about audio editing every time I do a podcast. So... It's a long process. Either way, I apologize. This podcast has been brought to you by Intermix, publisher of Cowboys for Christmas, the holiday anthology, featuring three all-new steamy cowboy romances from Kim Law, Terry Osborne, and Liz Talley. You can download it on November 18th. And if you were wondering, I bet I know who this music is, you're probably right. This is the Pete Bog Fairies. This is called Calgary Capers. Our music is provided every week by Sassy Outwater. You can find her at Sassy Outwater on Twitter, and you can find the Peat Bog Fairies on their website or on iTunes or Amazon or anywhere music is sold, pretty much. Future podcasts will include Jane and me interviewing a librarian about acquisition, building a romance collection, and things that drive her absolutely bananas. And if you enjoyed the podcast or you have an idea or you have a question you wish we would ask Sarah McLean, you can email us at sbjpodcast at gmail.com. You can call and leave a message on our Google Voice number, which is one one three371 Don't forget to give us your name and where you're calling from. Or you can find us online on our respective websites, Smart Bitches Trashy Books and Dear Author. When we post the podcast entry, there's always a comment section and you can tell us what's up, what you think, what problems you have, what ideas you have, what books you recommend. We like book recommendations. It's always kind of expensive to know us and talk to us, but we love a good book recommendation. But in the meantime, wherever you are, I'm presuming it's probably cold. And if it's not, you're very lucky. Sarah McLean and Elise and I wish you the very best of reading. Have a great weekend.